Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello and welcome to Talking Point, Planet F1's very own podcast. In today's episode, we're of course going to be discussing the uh, Hungarian Grand Prix, which yeah gave us a, a lot to talk about heading into the summer break, thanks to well, a high number of things. Um, joining me to discuss all of those things is the Planet F1 editor, Michelle Foster. Uh, Michelle, how's it going? Yeah, good morning, Finley. Um, happy to say we're heading towards a summer break, but uh, yeah, sad to say that that's that's it for Formula One for a couple of weeks as well. Yeah, it's going to feel like such a long time off now after this packed calendar. But uh, we ended it on a high note at least, and yeah, like I said, there's a lot to for us to get our teeth into over the next month. Uh, starting off today with, of course, yeah, just what exactly the hell happened in that insane race. Um, yeah, obviously Esteban Ocon won just ahead of Sebastian Vettel, who may or may not be disqualified, but we'll get into all that in a bit. Um, I mean, to start with, I think we just have to take a look at that that crazy turn one incident uh, that really caused all the chaos that followed. Um, obviously, it was in changing conditions. The track was kind of damp. Everyone was on intermediates. And well, I mean, Valtteri Bottas just got it wrong, really, didn't he? He did. He got it completely wrong. Um, one could even argue horrifically wrong if you were racing for Red Bull. But basically, he got bogged down at the start. Um, and I think that maybe he was trying to break as late as possible to see if he could make up some positions. Because you can see pretty much everybody else's brake lights on, but Valtteri Bottas is still is still going at pace. And then he was in the, the rear end of Lando Norris's McLaren. Lando was into Max Verstappen. Sergio Perez also got hit by Bortus. It was absolute carnage. Rebel could not have asked for a worse possible outcome. But it is one that I know Bortus got a five-place grid penalty for the next race, the Belgian Grand Prix. But a part of me kind of looked at that and thought, well, that looked more like a racing incident than a lot of the first lap incidents that have been penalized lately. I mean, yes, he went in a little hot, but it was on a wet, slippery track. So, yeah, I I do feel it was was kind of more of a racing incident than one that deserved a penalty. 
Yeah, yeah, I think I, I think because of the conditions, it was. Um, I mean, if if that was a dry track and it was literally a case of him just breaking too late, then you know probably a, a slam dunk. But because of the conditions, it's obviously really easy for for that. I mean, it's it's harder to judge your braking point, and when you hit the brakes, it's not necessarily you know gonna slow you down immediately in those kind of conditions. So. Yeah, I felt a bit bad for him, to be honest, especially when you had... Uh, I, I get why Perez and Norris were completely, you know, putting all the blame on him and stuff. But yeah, there's that video of Norris uh, giving that interview in the paddock afterwards, saying it was Bottas's fault and then Bottas was right behind him. It was, uh, yeah, felt a bit bad for him. Um, but I mean, let's just get this out of the way because he saw some some ridiculous claims that it was like intentional from Bottas. I mean, it obviously wasn't, was it? <laughs> No, it obviously wasn't intentional, but wow. I mean, if you want to get the tinfoil hats on people's heads, what better way than to have the the teammate of the title cha- title rival taking out two title rivals? I mean, that was, like I said, the conspiracy theorists could not have asked for a better start to a race. I don't for the life of me believe that there is a single malicious bone inside Valtteri Bottas, and I think maybe that actually might be part of his problem when it comes to racing, but he would not have done that intentionally. It was a mistake. Like I said, it was more of a racing incident than a you made a mistake uh, part of the equation. I feel for the bloke. I really feel for Red Bull. I mean, like I said, they could not have asked for a worse outcome. But Valtteri Bottas did not do that intentionally. And, you know, I think even in the midst of all the all the viciousness that's going on away from the off the racetrack between Toto Wolff and Christian Horner, neither of them have it in them to ask a driver to do something like that. I mean, at the end of the day, they both want racing to win. Yes, they want their team to win at that racing, but they want Formula One to win. And if they were to do something like that, the tarnish on their team's image would just be, well, it would be horrendous. I mean, when you consider the Singapore with Fernando Alonso, I mean, years later, we're still bringing it up. We're going to forever be bringing that up. No team wants that sort of black mark on their record. And there's no way Toto Wolff did that. There's no way Valtteri Bottas did that. Um, and, and Lewis Hamilton as well would not have wanted Bottas to do that if he's going to win the title. I think he wants to win it fair and square. You, know? um, you could argue that in Silverstone, maybe he was a bit, a bit aggressive in his move. Maybe he wouldn't have braked in time. But chances are, if he was going to hit Max, there was a good possibility his own car was going to be damaged in the process. So, yeah, I don't think I don't think anyone at Mercedes asked for that. Um, even Red Bull came out immediately afterwards and said, like, there's there's no way that was deliberate, you know. Um, but that doesn't mean the consequences aren't horrific for us. Yeah, no, no, yeah, I, I think, uh, yeah, I think Bottas was probably beating himself up over it as much as anyone at Red Bull, really. I mean, obviously, it was his race that was ruined as well, which is kind of being forgotten in all of this quite a lot. Um, although, yeah, it, it definitely wasn't malicious in any kind. It was just a mistake. Although it was a mistake that I imagine there was a little part of Toto Wolff and Mercedes that didn't mind seeing uh, two Red Bulls get taken out at turn one. Um but anyway, following that incident, we obviously had a red flag. They all went back to the pits and then came out a few, about uh, 10, 15 minutes later to to make the restart. And yeah, on their intermediates, all the drivers realized the, the track was dry now. Um, 
And it led to the, the bizarre sight of Lewis Hamilton being the only driver on the starting grid for the restart with the rest in the pit lane. I mean, in terms of weird sights to see in F1, that is... That's got to be, you know, right up there with uh, the U.S. Grand Prix back in the 2000s, right? Yeah, in uh, in my 20 years of covering Formula One, I have never seen one man line up on a grid alone. I've seen six, but I've never seen one. So that was that was, but it was it was baffling. I mean, everybody else was aware of the fact that the track was drying out. Uh, in fact, the track wasn't even drying out. The track was dry. It was a slick tire track. And Hamilton has come out saying he kept telling Mercedes it's dry, it's dry, it's dry. But I mean, under the rules, the team actually can't tell him on the formation lap what to do. It it was actually on him to pull into the pits. So all he could do was say it's dry, it's dry. And then he continued to the grids and what, 15, 14 other cars all pulled into the pits. It was it was absolutely baffling. I mean, what a mistake from Mercedes. And from Hamilton, he he went from first to stone last when he did eventually put on that, let's call it the opening lap of this part two of the race. But it's just, wow, I mean, what a mistake all round for both both Mercedes and and Hamilton. Yeah, yeah. I mean, ultimately, it it cost him what would have been a pretty easy win, really. You had, I mean, Bottas and Perez were already both out. Verstappen had effectively half a car just taped up. Uh, so he was in out of contention. I mean, yeah, it, it would have been a pretty easy 25, 26 points for Hamilton. Um, and yeah, I think it is on him, really, um, because obviously the team can't say anything on the radio. But then yeah, he's got the the con of being the first driver, so he can't see what others do and just copy them, uh, which I imagine is what a lot of drivers behind him did. They just saw the guy in front of them go in and thought, okay, I'm safe to do so. Um, but yeah, that was definitely a, a mistake on his part, I think. Um, and one that, I don't know, I don't know, could prove costly, although he did still end up P3, maybe P2. Um, but his mistake was the gain of, Esteban Ocon and Sebastian Vettel as those two well just uh, the restart got ended up way ahead of the rest of the pack um thanks loudly to Nicholas Latifi holding up everyone else in P3 which is just uh, another insane sight of the day um yes and, and, and that was the battle until the end really Ocon v Vettel and uh well, I mean, it was just great driving on uh, on both parts, I think, wasn't it? I can't, thinking back to it, I can't think of one single mistake that either made. No, they didn't. It was, it really was a good, a good race. Um, Vettel put pressure on Ocon and, and Ocon just held his nerve. Completely unexpected. I mean, if someone had said to you before the start of the season, Esteban Ocon's going to win a race, you would have laughed yourself stupid. I mean, I, I would go as far as to say if someone said to you, Alpine is going to win a race, you would have also had a bit of a chuckle at that one. You know, I think uh, I think we'd all wanted Fernando Alonso to, to win a race this season, but no one really thought that Alpine would be able to do it. And after the first couple of races, it, it was clear that they, they weren't quite on the same level as they were last season even. So this was completely unexpected. Um, I can't remember the last time Esteban Ocon won a race. I think that was back during his his GP2 days, so a fair number of years away. And yet he handled that like an absolute pro. Um, you know, earlier this year he got a new three-year contract and then didn't score for four, four races, and people were like, oh, my goodness, what's going on? 
Uh, he then got a new chassis for the British Grand Prix and I think put his car in ninth place position behind Alonso. But for him to come out and win this race, I mean, just well done to him. It it really was one of those really great moments. However, unfortunately, it, it all got it got lost in the mix of Valtteri Bottas taking out the Red Bulls and then everyone watching to see how Hamilton and how Max Verstappen would recover. Uh, and there was Ocon and Vettel just doing their thing and, and doing it well. I mean, it was great. Every time Vettel got within a second and DRS range of Ocon, Ocon just sped up a little bit more. And it was like this game of cat and mouse between them the whole time. And like you said, neither of them put a wheel wrong. I can't think of a a single lockup in the mix even that they, they did throughout those 70 laps. So well done to them. A, a deserved victory and a complete, complete shocker. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> One mistake from Ocon would have probably cost him, cost him victory, given how close Vettel was. And I mean, that was huge pressure as well. It was the whole race with a win, you know, uh, in front of you. Uh, it's a very rare chance for a win at that with the way that Mercedes and Red Bull were out of the picture. Um, yeah, I mean, just enormous pressure. And he handled it so well. I mean, he really... I remember when he was at Racing Point, there was a point where he was considered, kind of along with Verstappen, one of the the biggest talents on the grid, one of the most exciting young drivers. Um, and obviously he lost a seat, came back and got beaten by Ricardo last year at Renault. Um, and that kind of changed a bit. I think, you know, he, a lot of drivers overtook him as those kind of exciting talents. Um, do you think this win kind of, you know, it can reignite his his career in that sense really you know make him one of the most talked about prospects on the grid again i'm hoping so for his sake i mean even as recently as i think it was like two three weeks ago um the alpine boss came out and said you know in alonso we have a we have a world champion and in ocon we have a good number two driver um is he world champion potential i don't know Uh, he basically implied that he did not think that ocon was world champion potential in his comments and Ocon replies with, bam, here's a race win, and I held off a four-time world champion to do it. You could argue that he got a little bit of help, as did first and second, both of them actually, by Alonso holding up Hamilton very well. But at the end of the day, it was Ocon who was leaving that race. It was Ocon who didn't – he didn't blink in any way. It was a great, great race. Um, whether it was a one-off – you know, you kind of almost immediately get that feeling that it might be, given that, like you say, he's he's not in the Max Verstappen, the Charles Leclerc caliber, um, and definitely not in that same level when it comes to what people are saying about them. So I think Ocon's going to need a couple more really good races before he could, can be considered to be up there with them. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, it was, um, I mean, a lot went right for him although to be fair it it wasn't like he was in the the third fastest car on the grid you know and as soon as red bull and mercedes were out he had the best machinery and therefore could cruise to victory i mean i think it, the alpine was probably at this circuit i don't know maybe fifth or sixth fastest car i think the aston martin was a bit quicker probably the ferrari looking at how signs closed a gap once uh latifi was out of the way i mean yeah, I think Ocon really did still have to work for this victory, which I think it's important to remember because it's easy to say he lucked into it. And sure, he did get a lot of luck, but he still had to earn it himself. Um, and he deserves a lot of credit for that, yeah. Uh, but 
yeah it, it does feel a bit like a one-off um a bit like when Gasly won it's just uh yeah I, I can't see it happening too often again in the future but then I don't know I, I could be wrong I mean no one would have thought he'd even win one race I don't think even you know even a few weeks ago so yeah who knows I mean you mentioned obviously the help that he got from his teammate in Alonso and uh yeah, I think that's something we have to look at because, I mean, in terms of wheel-to-wheel battles this season, I think that that was probably my favourite. It was just just incredible defending from Alonso. Um, and, you know, more of a reminder than anything this year, really, that he is, well, at his best still, even at the age of 40. I mean, it was just, yeah, I mean, incredible driving, wasn't it? It was absolutely fantastic. I mean, earlier this season, Daniel Ricciardo was saying that he reckons of the drivers on the grid, Alonso, back in Formula One after two years out, has probably the best racecraft of them all. I mean, that's speaking above Max Verstappen, above Lewis Hamilton, even above himself. And Danny Rick, I mean, Danny Rick isn't a mug, you know. And then he comes into this race and Lewis Hamilton is there. And I mean, Hamilton's in a car that is way superior to that Alpine. And yet Alonso just kept him behind. You could say potentially his defending was on the line, but it was within the limits. And the limits say you can go that far. And he went that far. He held off. I think there was like three genuine attacks from Lewis Hamilton where Alonso just defended like his life depended on it or, you know, like the race win depended on it, which it did. And then, unfortunately, there was a little lockup which finally allowed Hamilton through. But I think it was like 12 or 15 laps that he kept Lewis Hamilton at bay. I mean, how many other drivers, except for Max Verstappen, can say that they have done that this season or even in the last seven seasons? So well done to him. 40 years young, fantastic race. Uh, he deserved driver of the day. You know, I, I felt a little bit for Arcon because, I mean, his first win and stuff. But Alonso is just, he's the star. And you can understand why Formula One wanted him back. I mean, the guy is just, he's just charisma. And he's superb on the track. It's, yeah, it was really good for Formula One to watch that Lewis Hamilton versus Fernando Alonso. I mean, talk about winding back the clock. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and you, you mentioned drivers to hold off Hamilton this season. I mean, yeah, Verstappen has, but obviously Verstappen has an equal, if not, quicker car as Alonso was in this yeah very much midfield even lower midfield car somehow holding off a man in a much quicker car on much fresher tires as well I mean Hamilton was so much quicker than everybody else on track um and that you just it's it's like hard proof that it was kind of it earned victory for his team I mean Aston Martin when when Hamilton came out of the pits after putting on his new tires Aston Martin told Vettel that they expected Hamilton to catch Vettel with 10 laps to go. So that, you know, because Vettel was right by Ockham, that means he was going to catch the leader with 10 laps to go. Uh, And in the end, Hamilton caught them with, well, on the final lap, that was when he was finally within, you know, two, three seconds. So, yeah, I think it was 12 laps that Hamilton was caught up behind Alonso. And yeah, it, it, it earned Alonso's team the victory. Um, I think one interesting thing about him, obviously on track, I'd say he is, well, he's as good as ever, the same as ever. You know, he's classic Fernando Alonso with his, you know, the great starts that he still makes, the wheel-to-wheel racing. Um, You know, he's not always been the best when it comes to one lap pace, but I think he more than makes up for that with his racecraft. 
But I think a difference maybe we're seeing now is he does really seem a team player. Um, you know, he after the race, he waited for Ocon and then to celebrate with Ocon, to celebrate with the team. Um, he was keen to kind of divert attention away from himself afterwards to Ocon to praise him. And I mean, that's that, that's definitely a change in Alonso's kind of mentality and behavior, I think, isn't it? It's not something we maybe would have necessarily seen from him um a good you know five years ago or something yeah very much um you know Alonso's sort of implied in the past that his reputation's been a bit exaggerated uh, for not being a team player and being a bit of a hard ass instead but I mean Alpine bosses have come out and they've said you know we've seen absolutely no sign of this I mean this is a guy who just wants to push us who wants to get the best out of us um, and get the best out of the team in its entirety, whether it's from the, the car to the mechanics to the aerodynamics to Esteban Ocon. He just wants everyone at Alpine to thrive and will do everything that he can to, to make that happen. Yeah, yeah. And that's it's really important to see, I guess, ahead of new regulations coming for next year. And I mean, you know, with the resources that Alpine have, you know, obviously effectively being a works team with Renault. Um who knows what they could do? Uh, I mean, la- one last word on them before we move on to taking a look at the rest. Um, with Alonso, you know, as good as ever, experienced, wins under the belt, championships under the belt, now willing to be a bit of a team player. Um, Ocon, younger driver, race winner now. Do you think that their lineups may be a bit kind of underrated? I mean, whenever people tend to talk about the best lineups on the grid, the Alpine one's never really mentioned, but... Uh, I don't know. You look at that, you think they've got a pretty good thing going, I think. They do have a pretty good thing going. I mean, at the end of the day, though, and I mean, this is all on the surface, is one has to take into account Alonso's age. I know he said he's tired of people talking about that. And I, as, as someone roughly that age, I completely agree with him on that one. But at the end of the day, he is 40. He is nearing the end of his career, even if he is in the midst of a, of a comeback. And like we've already said from Ocon, even though he won the race and even though he didn't put a foot wrong the whole day Sunday, you still kind of get the feeling that this is more of a one-off than something that's going to be happening on a regular occasion. I think even into to 2022, if if Alpine produces the car that's of the field, um, you know, and it's Alonso versus Ocon, I'm going to put my money on Alonso winning that one. So a good lineup, a great lineup. I don't know so much about that, but you know, you can always argue who does have the great lineup. I mean, most teams have one driver who's who's sort of faltering at the moment. Yeah, when I look through the grid and think of teams that have two drivers performing to the best, I think Ferrari are probably the only one I can think of. I mean, you know, before this year, I was sure that McLaren would maybe have the strongest lineup, but then, yeah, Ricardo hasn't really shown up. So, I mean, at least Alpine in that sense don't have that issue. I think they've got Ocon is obviously fairly comfortable with the team, um, having been there for a couple of years now. And I'd say, on the whole, he performs not far off his best. I mean, yeah, Alonso hasn't hasn't had the struggles of other drivers at new teams. He's just settled in pretty quickly, um, which is even crazy considering that he wasn't just moving into a new team. He was coming back to the sport after two years away. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's seriously impressive from both of them. Um, and I think... Yeah, in terms of my drivers of the day, they'd probably be the top two. Um, I'm not sure in which order, but I think that's, uh, yeah, it, that's a fair assessment. Um, I mean, Alonso wasn't the only former world champion old ahead to to impress, of course, with 
Sebastian Vettel, well, uh, crossing the line in P2 at least. I mean, you know, f- disregarding the uh, the whole disqualification thing that, that we'll take a brief look at afterwards. I mean, it was another great race from him, wasn't it? I, I think this season he is slowly but surely getting back to his best himself, isn't he? Seb has been, for me, fantastic this season, and not just on the track, also off the track. I mean, between helping out with marriage proposals, cleaning up litter, uh, his T-shirt this weekend in Hungary, I I feel like Seb is, like, really rising as not just a driver, but a voice, you know, someone someone who's worth listening to, uh, whose opinion actually really matters. He, he went into this race. I don't think anybody thought Aston Martin would be on the podium. I mean, let's be honest, their, their main target this season is to score points. And he finished second. You know, he was very disappointed afterwards because, like he said, he had the faster car. He, he just wasn't able to find a way through. Finished the race in second, stopped on his in-lap, you know, running out of fuel. And unfortunately, that's pretty much the point where it all went horribly wrong for Aston Martin. Uh, The drivers have to produce a fuel sample at the end of the race. Uh, The FIA should be able to take a litre out of the car. And out of Seb's car, they could only take 0.3 litres. So that's unfortunately, by the law, letter of the law in Formula One, means that's a disqualification for him. Yeah, yeah. And that's, uh, well, that's heartbreaking for one, for him and for the team. But uh just you know you obviously if you if you maybe not a formula one fan and you see a headline sebastian vettel disqualified for not having enough fuel your first thought's probably going to be well what the hell was he doing was he not keeping out his fuel gauge yeah it's important to clarify that well as everybody listening to this will probably know it's not it's not quite that simple is it it's not like a normal car vettel isn't really the one who is aware of the fuel in his car is he i think this this disqualification is more on the team than him, I think. Yeah, this is very much a team problem. I mean, Otmar came out after the race and he said that there there should be one point, I think 1.44 litres left in the tank and all the stewards could get was 0.3. So something's gone wrong somewhere with either Aston Martin's calculations or Aston Martin's fuel system. Um, but either way, the point of fact is something has gone wrong, whether it's whether it's a mechanical issue with the fuel, the fuel system or whether it's a mathematical issue. It isn't it is unfortunately looking like it's just, yeah, they did something wrong in some way, shape or form. We're not saying they did something illegal. They didn't get a performance gain by having a liter of fuel less in the car than they would have. That's that's by no means in the equation. The point of fact is the FIA needs to be able to draw a litre of fuel out of a car at the end of the race, and they were not able to do so. And, and therein, unfortunately, lies the, fu- the full stop. Uh, Aston Martin have said that they do intend appealing. They have 96 hours after the race to, to lodge their official appeal. But it, it pretty much looks like this is this is a dead end for them. Yeah, yeah, I think it it looks that way, judging by there's some reports coming out from Germany as well. And yeah, unfortunately, it seems like it's a a slam dunk disqualification, which is gutting, obviously, for the team. Um, I mean, now, because of that, because obviously Lance Stroll crashed out in the first corner, they are going to lose a huge amount of ground in in their battle for P5 in the Constructors' Championship with Alpine getting first and fourth now and AlphaTauri 
getting um, sixth and seventh, I believe, um, with that disqualification. So, yeah, Aston Martin will be down to P7 in the Constructors' Championship. Um, Vettel, obviously, is going to lose a lot of ground in the drivers now with so many of his rivals doing well. I mean, yeah, it's, it's a big blow, but there's still... You know, putting the result aside, I mean, there's a lot of encouraging signs for, well, for Vettel, for sure, at least. I mean, it was, that's twice now this season that he's crossed the line in P2 after really strong drives. Um, he's out-qualifying his teammate Stroll regularly now. I mean, I think he he looks much, much better than he did in with Ferrari last year, doesn't he? Very much so. He just looks relaxed, you know. There's, I mean, that's probably the best way of putting it. The the whole pressure of, I would say, having the whole of Italy on your shoulders and every single mistake you ever make being critiqued by, by the entire world. Uh, he's just now being left to to get on and and do his job. And it just, like you say, it's relaxed him. He's just going with the flow, and he's. I think he's really doing a lot to help that team. I mean, they're not they're not the team that they were last season. This year's rule changes, that tiny little nip in the floor has, has really ruined their feng shui. But it's just he's just plugging on, and like you say, he's doing a good job. He's ahead of Lance Stroll. Oh, um, yeah, it really it really has paid off this move to Aston Martin for him. Yeah, and it's it's great to see in every sense because I mean, on track and off track at Ferrari, it was. It was sad to see him in the last year, really. I mean, on track, obviously, he couldn't really perform very well. Off track, he was very, I don't know, felt a bit shackled by the team, I guess. You know, there's that classic scene in Drive to Survive where he he's told off for making a joke ahead of the Italian Grand Prix by the team. And, is, you know, he asks, oh, is, is that on the agenda now? No jokes. Um, and, yeah, it's just great to see him be more himself again a bit like he was at Red Bull back in the day um more laid back more relaxed um, and also like you said doing great using his platform to a really great extent you know with um LGBT issues in Hungary with uh he's doing a lot you know in terms of climate change the environment cleaning up at Silverstone I mean it's all stuff that is really fantastic uh and it's stuff that I I don't know I think you know, not to make any assumptions, but I wonder if at Ferrari, if he'd be able to have that much freedom to express himself. Um, I'm not sure. But either way, yeah, it's it's really great to see him um, on track and off track being, yeah, back to his best, really. Um, and being happy as well, because I don't think we could really say that about his last year uh, at Ferrari. Um, yeah, I mean, moving on to the, well, to the wider picture, I suppose. Now we've got heading into the summer break, Lewis Hamilton leading Max Verstappen in the championship. Um, we don't know by how many points yet, you know, that would depend on if Vettel's disqualified or not. But I mean, I don't know, it's been it's been a real turnaround. Uh, and I don't know, Verstappen, of course, finished just outside, the, well, just inside the points in a car that was barely functioning. Um probably the best he could have done all things considered but I mean it's just incredible how how quickly things have gone wrong for him in Red Bull in the last few weeks yeah it's been a crazy turnaround I mean after the the sprint qualifying at Silverstone he was 33 points to the good against Hamilton he's now as things stand with Seb's provisional p2 uh six points has a six point deficit I mean, like you say, it really is crazy. It looked like Max and Red Bull were going to romp to these titles. 
um, Total Wolf came out after after the the second of the Austrian races and said, you know, all it's all it takes is one DNF and and things change. And it's let's call it one and a half DNFs later, and Max Verstappen is trailing in the championship. So it's really exciting because even though he is now trailing and Red Bull are behind Mercedes. It's not because they have a bad car. It's not because they have a bad engine. It's not because they can't fight Mercedes. It's because of that one and a half DNFs. Yeah. So I think we're in for a really thrilling second half to the season. Uh, my only concern there is, as we've seen in the past, if Lewis Hamilton gets ahead of steam, wow, that guy can can run absolutely rampant over anybody. So here's hoping that doesn't happen and that this battle this battle keeps raging. Um, I think the other thing that really needs to be noted from Austria is, I mean, sorry, not from Austria, from from Hungary is Williams in the points. Yes. Yeah, that was maybe along with, you know, Ockham winning Vettel getting second. That was for me, that was even above them as the feel good story of the day. Uh, I think it was the first time since 2019 that they've had a point at all. I mean, it was just, uh, yeah, it was really really good to see and it is very much deserved as well i mean latifi and russell both drove great races to hold on to those places and um yeah it was it, it, one of the highlights as well uh was was russell's interview afterwards wasn't it in the paddock i mean all of that emotion coming through uh, just how much it meant to him it was uh, it brings tears to my eyes just thinking about it i mean he's been with the team for three years the only points he scored was that one off with mercedes uh, you know, potentially off to Mercedes next season. He must have been sitting there thinking, am I actually going to score for this team before I leave? You know, I've d- he's done a lot to help Williams. He's shown incredible form in qualifying. But in the races, they just they just quite haven't had it. And now instead of fighting hard for, uh, for 10th place in the championship, you know, Williams are sitting, and I'm going to use the word comfortably, in eighth place, four points ahead of Alfa Romeo, who just, don't seem to be able to get it right this season. And yeah, Nicholas Latifi did beat Georgie. I think that was a that was a bit of a shocker. I think we all thought when they do finally score, it'll be George who's ahead. But George just came out when when Nick was was running in third place and said, whatever you have to do to, to sacrifice my race, if it helps Nicholas score, then that's what we need to do. So wow, he showed himself to be a team player of note. There, there was that one brief moment where, where Latifi went from, from third to eighth and you kind of sat there and thought like, oh my goodness, is Williams about to just plummet out the points, which has happened way too often to them when they've been running inside the top 10. And wow, they did it. It was it was amazing. Like you say, it was the feel-good story of, oh, it even goes for us to say of the first half of the season. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> they, they, yeah, there was a point where Latifi and Russell were running in uh p8 p9 and i looked at, at, at the at the uh the drivers behind them and saw ricardo verstappen and i was like oh no they're gonna lose the points again aren't they but thankfully for them ricardo and verstappen both had cars that were very much not working after their lap one incidents that they were caught up in so yeah williams just about held on i mean it's not it's important to know as well it's not just a points finishes in one of the drivers finishing in P10 and getting one point. I mean, this isn't just like a, a nice feel-good story. Oh, they finally got a point on the board again. I mean, this is genuinely a result that 
I'd go as far as saying it probably will secure them P8 in the standings um, unless we get absolute chaos again in the second half of the season. And I mean, for for a team like Williams, that's just massive, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, three years bottom of the log. You know, last year they didn't score a single point. Now they're sitting on six. Like I said, Alfa Romeo, even though it looks like they have a better car than the Williams, they are just making so many mistakes this season. I mean, it's... If it's not a mistake from the driver, it's a mistake that we saw with uh, Kimi Raikkonen being released into Nikita Mazepin's path this weekend and then Kimi getting a 10-second penalty for it. And and a deserved one. I mean, that was a complete Charlie Foxtrot from Alpha. So you kind of feel like this eighth is actually Williams is now to lose. Um, and, yeah, there's very little sign of that happening. I mean, Haas, despite 14 cars finishing, Haas weren't able to, uh, to get one of theirs across the line, which, I mean, major disappointment for Mick Schumacher. But, he, I mean, he really tried hard. I mean, he had a fantastic battle there with Max Verstappen, held him up for a couple of laps, um, even got the chance to battle Lewis Hamilton. I mean, that's that's pretty gold for, for Schumacher's learning curve. But, yeah, I think I think the season's going to end with Williams, Alfa Romeo and Haas as the bottom three. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think it's – yeah, I, I think it's definitely going to stay the way it is. I mean, like you said, Alfa Romeo just – uh, it, it, it was terrible. Both drivers got penalties. Uh, Giovinazzi got one for speeding in the pit lane. Kimi got one for an unsafe release. I mean, they're two such rookie errors for that is so avoidable that uh, it, that ultimately is probably going to cost them a place in the standings and therefore a lot of money. Um, and uh, yeah, in terms of Hass, it was I, I couldn't help but feel bad for them when. Gunther Steiner was sat on the pit wall and he turns around to see one of his cars just get taken out by an Alfa Romeo. That's, uh, yeah, you just can't catch a break. Um, in terms of Schumacher, though, it was, yeah, it was awesome to see him for the first time really get to go wheel to wheel with top drivers um, in Verstappen and in Ricardo as well. And it's fair to say he held his own, definitely, um, especially given. The machinery he had, I don't think he could have done any better, realistically. Um, so, yeah, that was great to see as well. And it was, well, on the whole, just a great race to end. On a final note, what has been in what, an insanely good first half of the year, hasn't it? It's been a fantastic half of the season. And like you say, what a, what a note to end it on. I mean, Hungary is is my race of the first half at the moment. And, and we've had some humdingers. I mean, but I think the best thing about the first half of the season is that we actually have a championship battle and not a not a championship battle between Lewis Hamilton and Valtteri Bottas, which, let's be honest, we all know was never a championship battle. Sooner or later, Bottas would have been told to uh, to know his place, unfortunately. So Max versus Lewis is, is proving to be a humdinger. We have Ferrari versus McLaren. We've had that battle at the back between Williams, Alfa and Haas. You know, there's there's so much going right for Formula One this season that it's oh, you kind of feel like it's almost a pity that we're actually introducing new cars next year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it really does. I've thought that a lot just looking at these races, looking at the the standings, all the teams in their own little battles. I mean, you think, oh, why do we need to change things? Let's just keep it like this. It's uh, yeah, it's insanely good. Um, and I'll. I'll end on a question that, 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 well, the big question, I suppose, going into the second half of the year. Um, Verstappen behind Hamilton, can he do it? I mean, looking at the machinery, obviously he's lost his points because of being taken out by Mercedes both times. Um, it's still in his hands, isn't it, whether he wins this title or not? 
I think it is. Um, I do think Red Bull have the overall better package, and you know Max is just. Yeah, he's been shining really bright this season. He's lost the lead in the championship because he's been hit by two other cars, not even his own mistakes. So I think there's everything going in his favor at the moment. Yeah, yeah. I think, um, yeah, like I said, I think it's still in his hands. I think he's just about probably got a stronger car. Um, So if he keeps things clean and he doesn't get rogue cars smashing into him again, which surely isn't going to happen too much more, um, then... Yeah, I think he's still got a good shot of it, but either way, I think it's going to be close. I think I, both drivers are going to um, perform to their best. I don't think we're going to get a 2017-2018 scenario where Vettel dropped off a bit um, and Ferrari dropped off a bit. I think we're going to, yeah, going to get a top battle and I think finally, again, for the first time since 2016, we're going to have a, tri- a title fight that goes down to the last race. And for the first time since 2012, one that is involving two different teams. So, yeah, exciting times. Fingers crossed. Um, well, thanks for coming on today, Michelle. It was an absolute pleasure, Finley. Good chatting with you. And uh, yeah, as always, thank you to everyone for listening in this episode and in every episode for the first half of the season. Um, yeah, with the month odd break now we will also be taking a break from the podcast with well no races to discuss of course but um well we'll still be doing some video stuff um that you can find on the planet f1 website along with you know, various news articles features whatever else you fancy so yeah the website's planetf1.com and our social media is our facebook planet f1 and our twitter's planet underscore f1 um so yeah, if you've enjoyed the pod in this first half of the season, then be sure to leave a review on uh, wherever you listen. And we'll see you soon. Bye. Right. Sports Social Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.